My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Joshua Womack. He is the author of I'm Not a Copywriter, But Lessons Learned from a Late Bloomer. He currently serves as a senior copywriter and lives in downtown Cleveland. He, um, in his book, he talks about you know, trying his hand at stand-up comedy, speech writing, pro wrestling, and somehow these oddball life choices led Josh to copywriting. So that's uh, something that we're going to dig in today, just try and uh, put all the, the dots in a row and figure out, uh, you know, this, this journey that you were on, because sometimes, you know, life, life leads us on, uh, you know, into a lot of different directions. So Josh, thank you very much for coming on and sharing with me and the audience. Yeah, Dave, I appreciate it so much. And you know, like you said, it's all about trying to connect the dots. And uh, as I'm as I'm nearing 40 years old, I'm I'm still trying to connect the dots. But uh, hopefully, I've got a few of them in a good place right now. But no, I'm I'm excited to talk to you. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, I can share a couple stories that will make people think, maybe make them laugh a little bit, and, and get a little inspiration. So good to go. Cool. Well, um, let's start with where it all began, you know, where were you born and raised and, and what were some of your early influences? Yeah. So I, uh, was raised in a little suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so it's called Mayfield Heights, Ohio. Uh, it's probably about 20, 25 minutes east of Cleveland and, uh, your typical middle-class suburb, really, um, nothing really stands out a lot about, um, you know, just, I guess you could say anything that is a, a searing childhood memory. But I, I think, you know, when I look back on it now, I had a lot of great friends and family who were um, just really good storytellers. Um, and, and a lot of that just starts around the kitchen table when you're having dinner, you know, after work and after school. And, you know, you kind of share how the day went, you share the things you learned, the things that maybe didn't go well, um, funny anecdotes, things like that. So I think in some sense, kind of those, those early conversations sort of paved the way to those eventual things that I tried later in life, whether it was stand-up, whether it was speech writing, what I do for copywriting now. Um, somehow it landed into a very short, short stint, as you mentioned, into pro wrestling. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think when you have a supportive family, which I was lucky enough to have, and you had those conversations, you kind of feel like, okay, I can try my hand at a, at a few different things. So I, I was lucky enough to do that. That's pretty cool. Well, what did, uh, what did your mom and dad do when you were growing up? Yeah, my dad uh, was an iron worker. Uh, so he was a union guy as local 17, which is right here in Cleveland. And then um, he actually transitioned. He became a home inspector. Um, so he would kind of be that person that, um, you know, you would take the potential buyer of a house kind of on a tour of the house and point out, you know, things that 
you know, you needed to look out for and certain issues that might come up. And uh, I know realtors weren't a very big fan of his because uh, the home inspector is usually the person that kind of kills the deal, so to speak. Um, but, you know, he, had, he always had good rapport. He always had good rapport with um, kind of the people he worked with. And then with my mom, she was a, a medical secretary for about 30 years. Um, so she worked in a dermatologist's office. Um, so she was the first person that people saw when they walked in the door, you know, for their doctor's appointments. Um, so again, you know, I think they had good exposure just to working with people. Um, I, I, again, nothing, you know, not the most glamorous jobs in the world, but, you know, jobs where, you know, you take pride in what you do. And um, I hope that maybe some of that tr kind of trickled down to, uh, to me and my older brother. So is it just you and your brother? Yeah, it's just me and my older brother. Um, and like I mentioned, he's a fireman. And, um, you know, he, he kind of found that journey uh, in a really particular way. He was actually an amateur boxer. Um, so he was an amateur boxer when he was in his early 20s. And uh, his trainer's son was a fireman. And somewhere along the way, I think my brother realized that he wasn't going to be a professional boxer. <laughs> that wasn't. That wasn't the way to go. Um, so I think his trainer's son put a little bug in his ear that said, hey, you know, if you're not going to do this boxing thing, I know a really rewarding career that I do. And uh, God, yeah, he's been doing it for over 25 years now. So he's he's really enjoyed it. Wow. So let's let's talk about, you know, I, I'm guessing after high school, you uh, did you go to college after high school? Yeah, you know, it's funny because in my book, I, the subtitle is Lessons Learned from a Late Bloomer. So I, I, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do after high school. So I ended up working full time the year after high school. Um, I didn't go straight to college. And it's just, I just wasn't ready yet. I wasn't ready to put forth the effort, um, you know, kind of in the classroom, so to speak. But I worked for a year, uh, which was great because I was at least doing something. I wasn't just sitting on my butt. I was, I was, you know, making money. And then the year after that, I ended up going to community college for two years. Um, and then after community college, I actually transferred to a four-year school. Um, the school is Bowling Green University, which is in Northwest Ohio, um, kind of by the Toledo area. And um, I think when I graduated undergrad, I was, I think I was 24 or 25. So I wasn't it wasn't like a Tommy boy thing where, you know, in the movie Tommy boy, they say, you know, a lot of people go to college for seven years and he says, who are they? And he goes, doctors sarcastically. <laughs> it, it wasn't one of those, but I eventually got my undergraduate degree and then started just, um, started just kind of trying some things out. Um, took some jobs with some nonprofits, did some stand up on the side, did some speech writing and, and all those kind of life experiences kind of coalesce into what I'm doing now, which is copywriting. And so what I'm getting out of this is one of the common themes is writing. And I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but I, I was figuring, you know, speech writing, stand-up comedy, you know, pro wrestling, were you writing scripts for the wrestlers? No, I was actually... And I shake my head when I think about it, but I actually got in the ring. Um, no kidding. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I think I was 25 or 26, which already is old to be trying wrestling, you know, but 
Um, it was just one of those things that was always in the back of my head. I remember doing a bunch of research into these pro wrestling schools that they had around the country. And, you know, there's all these small independent promotions throughout the United States. I mean, the big, you know, the big ones that we know about are, you know, AEW, WWE, the ones you see on TNT and the USA Network. But around the country, there's all these small time promotions that almost act like the minor leagues of pro wrestling kind of go where you, uh, it's where you go to kind of uh, cut your teeth, so to speak, and kind of pay your dues. And we had one here in Cleveland named Firestorm Pro Wrestling. So they were holding open tryouts at a, uh, at a converted uh, concert hall on the west side of Cleveland. So I saw an ad in Craigslist and, you know, they kind of gave, you know, a little, a little gist of kind of what they were looking for. So I went there one day and I talk about it in my book too. Uh, it was February in Cleveland. So it was very cold, uh, you know, gray skies. And I remember when I walked into the building, I didn't feel any warmer. Like I didn't warm up. And then I found out later on that to get a deal on the building, the wrestling promotion um, didn't have uh, heat or hot water. So there was, uh, there was no, like you couldn't wash your hands. You had to bring hand sanitizer. So there was no water in the bathrooms and there was no heat in the building. Um, so for all those future practices that I went to, I would just bundle up and layer and put on Under Armour and whatnot. Um, but no, I gave it a, I gave it a shot. I, I did the practices for about three months. Um, and then I ended up getting just an awful concussion. Um, I, and I experienced vertigo for the first time, which was super scary. I never want to experience that again. And, uh, I remember going to a neurologist because I didn't want to give up on it right away. I at least wanted to see kind of like what my options were. And the neurologist told me kind of what I already knew. I had kind of like a low grade concussion. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, you know, do you have, are you planning on doing this for like your full-time career? And I go, well, I go, I have a day job. And, you know, I go, this is just something I've always wanted to try. And the neurologist was really funny. He had a son who played uh, college hockey. And he goes, I'll tell you the same thing I tell my son. You know, he goes, if you have safer career options, I would do those instead. Um, you know, and, and that's what I did. So it was a, it was a brief 90 days of my life, but, um, I don't know. It was still something I look back on and I'm still proud that I at least, you know, gave it a shot that I attempted it. So it's, it's hard to tell, like, you know, how tall are you? How heavy are you? Like, I mean, I'm not big at all. I'm yeah, five, five, pretty five. trim. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm five foot five and 130 pounds soaking wet. Um, so believe me, I, I am not the prototypical physique for pro wrestling. And it's funny when I walked into that open practice that day, because there were guys who were my size, you know, on the smaller side. Um, and then there were guys who were built like big lumberjacks, guys who were 250, 300 pounds. So it really was kind of a, a mashup of people, so to speak. And uh, it was funny, there was one guy in my class he was actually shorter than me. I mean, I'm only 5'5". Five five. I think he was 5'2 or 5'3", but he was a collegiate wrestler. Um, so he had like already kind of like a good foundation, like a good base, I guess you could say. And he ended up doing kind of the independent circuit for a couple years. And then he stopped. He had kids. He had a family. Um, but it just goes to show you, um, wrestling comes in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, man.
So uh, tell me, tell me how you uh, you did in stand up. Yeah, you know, and stand up is just one of those. It's like wrestling. It's just one of those things I always wanted to try. And um, so what ended up happening was uh, I found a um, a stand up workshop here in Cleveland, and uh, it was taught by this guy named Dave Schwenson. And Dave was a former comedian, but he was more um, of like a, a booking agent, I guess you could say. So he would book the comics who would perform at like different improv clubs throughout the country. But he held this, um, this stand-up workshop where for three Saturdays, you would meet at the improv at the comedy club and you would bring, you know, your, your jokes in a little notebook and you would get up on stage and you would tell the jokes for other people in the class. And there was only like eight or nine people in the class. So telling jokes is hard enough in front of a room full of people but when you're new and you're starting out and you're telling jokes in front of eight or nine people, it is absolutely brutal. It is brutal because everyone's just starting out. Everyone's just trying to figure out their voice. No one is really killing it. No one's really like super funny. But over time, you, you kind of learn a little bit what works, what doesn't. So after those three, you know, class sessions, you have what they call like a um, like a graduation showcase where you know you get to perform on the improv stage on like a Wednesday or Thursday night. Tickets, I think were like one or $2. Um, and you know, your friends and family come out, they support you. And then that was kind of the launching pad of it. And um, you know, I ended up kind of just making a little bit of a, uh, like a part-time career out of it. Um, almost like the same way, like, uh, like a teacher will like bartend, like, you know, on the weekends or, you know, someone picks up like, you know, a side gig, you know, like doing retail, working at like a, a Target or a Walmart. To me, stand-up was kind of like my, uh, I don't know, kind of like how I made fun money, like spending money, so to speak. And um, yeah, stand-up stand kind of got me the mindset of writing, kind of what the theme that you picked up on. It kind of got me, you know, putting pen to paper, working with the Word document, you know, jotting my thoughts down. And then that eventually transitioned into speech writing. Um, so you're right, kind of that writing thread just kind of, just kind of weaves its way, you know, kind of through my life the last, you know, 12, 15 years. And were you big on writing in high school? Not really. I think I, you know, I loved reading like, and I, and I still do. I try to read 25, 30 books a year, um, which I know for some people is a lot for other people. It isn't. Um, I think, I think I read somewhere that Stephen, Stephen King reads about 75 or 80 books a year. So that's uh, that's the elite level right there. So um, I'm not even at half that, but I, I try to do what I can. But no, I think I think the writing stemmed from the love of reading. Um, really, just kind of, you know, every time you read a book, you kind of take an adventure in your mind, um, and it's just something that I just really love to do. And reading is a pretty solitary act. You know, it's just kind of you and the book, and, and so is writing you know, writing, you kind of have to have a lot of focus. Um, you have to be patient with it. Um, you have to write then rewrite and go through drafts and drafts of, you know, edits before you get it right. Um, but that was kind of my sweet spot. Um, I, I felt very comfortable kind of putting what I had up here kind of down on the paper. And uh, luckily, knock on wood, it's still it's still working out. Well, tell me what a copywriter does. Yeah, so a copywriter, a lot of people think it has to do with like the little C with the circle around it. 
you know, and that's, and a lot of copywriters get that, but a copywriter is actually someone who usually works in an advertising agency. Um, so it basically, basically it's, I guess you could say it's marketing writing. Um, so, you know, when you get emails from Starbucks or, you know, Target or anything with like, you know, the latest deals or, you know, they, they send you an email with a Labor Day special or, you know, a Christmas special. Usually it's a copywriter who's kind of come up with that language in the email. Um, so copywriters will write email, they'll write direct mail. Um, so kind of like that, that junk mail that you get in, uh, you know, kind of like in your, uh, in your mailbox, like, you know, whether it's, you know, a company, an insurance company or credit card offers from, you know, Capital One or Visa. Usually it's a copywriter who kind of comes up with all that information. Um, so basically a copywriter is writing for a brand, if that makes sense. And, and how did your experiences, you know, that led to you being a copywriter uh, develop into you writing a book? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you backtrack it a little bit, um, from about 2013 to about 2020, um, a buddy and I, we started a company called Laugh Staff where we used um, stand-up comedians to help write wedding toasts. So it was, uh, my buddy had the idea after he went to a wedding and uh, he kind of had to give a, a on-the-spot toast, so to speak. So we kind of just developed this little website where people can log on and, you know, either myself or him or one of the other comedians would, you know, write a three to a five minute wedding toast. So, you know, Laugh Staff, in writing those wedding toasts kind of got me in the habit of writing for other people. So it kind of got me um, almost like taking their information and taking what they wanted and kind of writing it in a cohesive structure and, and having it make sense, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end. So speech writing was like my introduction, like I said, into writing for others. And then from speech writing, for me, it was a natural conversion into copywriting. Because in copywriting, you're writing for someone else too. You're writing for a brand. Um, so luckily enough, the skills kind of transitioned over from speech writing to copywriting. And really for the last few years, I mean, I've written blog articles. I, I've written um, just a bunch of things that were anywhere from, you know, 500 to 1,000 words. Um, and usually 500 to 1,000 words is, you know, maybe a three or four minute read, depending on how fast of a reader you are. But I think every writer, no matter if you're a speechwriter, a copywriter, I feel like every writer at one point or another feels like they ask themselves the question, do I have a book in me? You know, it's, it's like, do I have a story to tell? And is it a story that's universal enough that people would want to pay attention to it and that people would actually want to read it? Um, so I just started, I mean, really, I just started jotting thoughts down. Um, I, I really didn't have my chapters kind of laid out or anything like that. It was just kind of random thought here, random thought there. And then as it, it kind of picked up momentum a little bit where it was like, okay, like if I could write a thousand words, how long would it take me to get to 3000 words? And if I get to 3000 words, how long can I get to 5,000 words? And, you know, and, and long story short, you know, my, my book is a really short read. It's only about a 40, 45 minute read. Um, cause it's, it's right about 15, 15,000 words, um, which is, which is not a long book at all. Um, but 
it's long for me because I had never written that much before. Right. Um, so it was like a nice little, um, it was a nice stretch project. You know, it was, it was a skill set that I already had, but I had never focused it into that kind of like project before. So um, I guess, you know, when you, when you embark on something like this, you kind of have to have some people to support you. And if there's any aspiring authors listening uh, to this podcast, I definitely recommend getting a good editor um, because my editor was an absolute godsend. Um, an editor is great. If you get, if, if you get a good editor, they can take a look at, you know, what you have and they can make it make sense almost better than you can. You know, so my edit, my editor was absolutely great. She would, you know, see a chapter that I wrote and she would say, you know what, I like this chapter, but in terms of the flow of the book, I don't think this chapter belongs up here. I think it belongs down here. And it says, oh, okay. So, you know, I can, you know, well, let's move it from up here to down here. So it's like, okay. And then another thing she would do too is, you know, she would read the chapters and she would say, you know, the first four chapters of, or the first four paragraphs of this chapter are really good, but the last two paragraphs, you kind of start to lose me a little bit. Um, so what's great about an editor is they kind of take the, um, they kind of take the position of what they, of what you call the IR, and the IR kind of stands for the ideal reader. Um, and that's, that's something Stephen King talks about too. You know, and for Stephen King, his ideal reader is his wife. He always shares his, his manuscripts with his wife. So a good editor will come at it through the prism of the ideal reader. Um, so again, if you're, if you're looking to write a book and it's on your bucket list, um, I definitely recommend investing in an editor. It'll be, it'll be money well spent. Who did you use for an editor? I used, um, it was, she's, a, she's a freelance writer. Her name's Rebecca Ferlotti. And uh, I had met her at a writing workshop like six or seven years ago. And I originally had this idea for a book back in 2019. And we actually got together, we had coffee. And uh, I kind of told her about the idea. And uh, she goes, well, when you're ready, she goes, let me know. And she goes, I'd be happy to you know, take a look at it. So when I actually sat down and focused and kind of put pen to paper, she was really the first person that I reached out to. Um, and, and she was absolutely great. You know, she just went through the, the Google document and marked it up. And, you know, she did a great job. She didn't, I still felt like it was my voice in the book. You know, I wasn't totally re-edited or, you know, it's not like everything was stripped away. It was still me just with kind of her eyeballs on it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, with my book, I, I found an amazing editor and, it was the same thing. I, I had a lot more content and a lot of it just was unnecessary. And so she was like, you know, I really don't think you need all of this. It's not pertinent to the flow of things. And yeah. I was like, well, you know, and she's like, I think you can still get the point across with this. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. And so it, it's like you said, it's all my stuff. It's all my content. But she really did rearrange it in a way, because that was my biggest issue was, well, how do I, you know, how do I organize this? Because once I had written it and looked at it, it was all over the place. And I'm like, you know, what I thought was a pretty good flow. Now, I feel like I need to do this and this. And then 
as I was taking it apart and putting it back together, I got so frustrated and came really close to deleting it. <laughs> and and you thank do. yeah, I mean, thank God I, I found her and uh yeah, just did an incredible job. Uh so well, but, you know what it is? It's it's I always tell people. You know, writing a book is a patient endeavor in an impatient world. Yeah. Um, it, it really is. And I mean, you know, I try to, I'm trying, I'm trying to write my second book right now. And to borrow a phrase from you, man, it's all over the place. And, <laughs> and I, and I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be making a call to that same editor once I get to a certain word count. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you were probably staring at the same word doc for you know weeks and months and for some people you know years and you just get so sick of looking at it that you know hitting the delete key might it might sound like the easiest thing to do yeah but but but, but i'm glad you didn't <laughs> yeah yeah me too <laughs> um so who is your primary uh who's the audience that or the you know, uh, let's see, how would I put this? Who did you write your book for? Yeah, I would say in a nutshell, I wrote the book for me, who I was like seven years ago. Um, because when I got this job as a, I was, you know, I didn't get this copywriting job until I was 32. Um, and that's, and that's why, like I said, in the book title, it's lessons learned from a late bloomer. Um, cause I didn't work, I didn't get into the business until, you know, a little bit later. And even though I had the background of stand up and speech writing, you know, there was still a learning curve. There was still a learning curve of how to work at an ad agency, um, how to write copy that is simple, but, you know, effective. Um, and there's just a lot of things, there was just a lot of obstacles and challenges that I had within, you know, my first really. I would say two and a half, three years. Like it, it took me a while to really, really like get it. Um, so I really wrote the book for junior copywriters who, you know, maybe they got a late start like I did. You know, maybe they're getting their first copywriting job when they're in their 30s um, or 40s. Or, you know, maybe it's for someone who right out of college knows they want to be a copywriter, um, you know, who's 22, 23 years old. And what I do in the book is I just try to, give some examples of things that I learned kind of about myself through copywriting. Um, and some of them are just how to get along with others, how to collaborate with others, how to not take things personally in a creative field, which is, which is very hard to do. Um, and really too, like kind of how to set your ego aside, um, you know, for the kind of the greater good of the, the creative project. Um, cause I, I think, you know, anytime you're doing something that you care about and it's, it's something in a creative field, like you do feel like you're kind of showing the world kind of part of you and kind of how you interpret the world and how you think. Um, and that, and then when you get constructive criticism on that, you know, it can sting a little bit, but I think if you can, if you can frame that constructive criticism in the right way, you'll be, you'll be good to go. So what's one of the 
primary lessons that you lay out for the reader? Like what's, what's one of the ones that you talk about in the book? Yeah, so I would say, I kind of give this rule of three in the book where when you're writing, you know, say you're writing a headline for an email that you're working on. Basically, there's kind of three buckets that I think every copywriter should kind of put their, their work in. There's, there's the safe bucket, which is basically the bucket that's pretty much to the point. Like it's the, it's the line or the sentence that the customer is going to like. Um, there's not a lot of creativity to it. It's just kind of is what it is. Um, sometimes it's the only, it's, it's what the customer wants. So you can't do anything about it. So there's kind of that first bucket of just kind of like get the main point across. And then the second bucket is kind of pushing the headline a little bit, giving it like a little bit of flair or a little bit of personality. Um, and it really it's for every copywriter, it's that copywriter's personality kind of peeking through a little bit. So, you know, it could be just a turn of phrase or it could be a quippy line, um, but it's kind of like, it kind of, uh, it pushes the envelope just a little bit, you know, creatively. And then for the third bucket, I, I say it's the, it's the line that only you can write. So it's the line that only Josh Womack, the copywriter can write, or it's the line that only Bob Smith, the copywriter can write. And it's, it's the idea that is really far out there. And it's the idea that probably won't get picked, but you should include it anyway, because really copywriters are hired for their creativity, for their brains. So you want to show people that, you know, even though this idea might not get picked, you want to show them like your thinking, you want to show them how your brain operates. And, and even though if they don't pick this certain line for this project, they might remember that, Hey, that guy or that girl had the really funny line in that one meeting. And for this particular project, now I need that really outside of the box thinking. Um, so I think in every project, there's kind of like, there's kind of, there's good, there's great, and there's kind of out there. So, you know, in any, in any piece of copy that I write, I try to write it three different ways. Um, you know, and it's just like, the more you write it, the more you get comfortable with it, and the more you can kind of inject your personality into it. So, um, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you do to get your mind in that creative zone. Do you have like a, a practice that you do or, I mean, are you just so good that it, every morning you wake up and just as creative as hell, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's funny. The first chapter of my book, I call it the good goo. And, um, it was actually a story. I had talked to uh, a monologue writer who used to write jokes for Conan O'Brien and, and we were emailing each other and, uh, he one time heard from Conan O'Brien. He goes, yeah, he goes, you got to capitalize on your good goo. And he goes, well, what's the good goo? He goes, basically, it's just the time of day where you are thinking the most clearly. So it's the time of day where you're kind of firing on all cylinders. So some people are morning people, some people are night people. Um, and I'm definitely a morning person. So, um, you know, really, you know, I try to sit down with, you know, a cup of tea in the morning and the first hour of the day is worth its weight in gold. Like that first hour of writing will be the best stuff that I produce 
in an eight hour day. Um, and I know that because my brain is well rested and it's just the time of day where I think the most clearly. And again, that time of day is different for so many people. Um, it's funny, I have some coworkers who pick up energy and momentum as the day goes along. Hmm. And it's, it's funny because I'll send a lot of emails in the morning because that's kind of when I'm firing on all cylinders. They'll send a lot of emails at three, four, five o'clock because that's kind of when they're just getting going. But it looks different for everyone. But I will say this. I mean, even if you could just dedicate 30, 45 minutes a day to trying to do deep work like writing, um, you know, nobody write. in my opinion, nobody writes eight hours a day. Like I think it, to me, I think it's impossible. If you can write 30 minutes a day for three months straight, then that is an awesome accomplishment. So, you know, again, it's kind of just building up those little wins, you know, kind of throughout the days and the weeks and the months. Um, but yeah, for me, morning time is, is, is kind of sacred time. Now, do you have a website that you send people to or, uh, you know, if people wanted to connect with you or purchase your book or, you know, what's the be best place for people to go to? Yeah, yeah. I have a website. It's got just some of the stuff I've, it's got a link to the book, obviously, um, but it's got some stuff I've written in the past few years. And um, it's just my name. It's just joshwomack.net. Um, and then I'm on, I'm on the social channels too, um, on Instagram and Twitter. It's just Joshua Womack 82. Um, and Instagram and Twitter is probably what I'm most, most active on, but yeah, I mean, if everyone want, anyone wants to give a shout and, you know, talk copywriting or wrestling or stand up or whatever it is, I'm, you know, definitely, definitely happy, happy to chat. And, and the book is pretty much anywhere you can find books. Um, uh, it's on Amazon, obviously. And then it's on, it's at Target and Barnes and Noble. Target and Barnes and Noble online, I should say. I don't think it's in the stores, but if you go to Target and Barnes and Noble online, it's there. And um, yeah, it was, like I said earlier, it was, the book was one of those stretch projects that I'm just, I'm really, really glad that I did. And, um, you know, maybe in, a, maybe in a year and a half or two, we can do this again. And maybe, maybe the second book will be out and maybe uh, it won't be all over the place. Maybe it'll actually have some structure. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story with us and, uh, you know, all best of luck with your book and, and thank you so much. Dave, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.